Building Years Podcast with Justin Alexio and Jeremiah Watkins. New episodes every Wednesday. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into the Building Years. This is Jeremiah Watkins. It's Justin Alexio. We've got a special guest. It's like chocolate cake. Uh, that was weird. Anyways, it's Tom Vaughn, guys. Writer, actor, producer, all around good guy. All around good guy. Thank you. That's very nice of you. Oh, to Houston say. Texans fan. I guess I'd throw on that. Huge Texans fan. That identifies yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. I usually uh, will focus on my love for football in any conversation. Well, that's good. Do you, uh, did you play football? I did not, no. Uh, my parents would not let me play. Uh, I was invited to play on the high school team because I could catch. Mm. And then my parents would not let me uh, play because I was too tiny. And to this day, I blame them for my lack of an NFL career. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah. I grew up uh, playing like a lot of soccer. And uh, I played premier soccer as a kid. And as soon as my team got good enough to travel, that my dad's like, all right, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> Too much money. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things. And he's like, and playing soccer on Sunday? I don't think so. <laughs> so, so that's what where I, like, that's my what if. I was like, what if I would have kept what going? If I get, would, I I, would I have gone to the World Cup as a goalie? <laughs> I don't know. In sixth grade, I was an all-star. <laughs> Certainly that meant I was pro-bound. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you're from Houston, right? Uh, I am from Houston, yeah. I moved down there when I was 15 and uh, stayed there for the the of the the next 10 years so okay i consider myself a texan yeah okay so do you have you do you wear like cowboy hats and stuff i do not but i've been playing with the idea of getting my first cowboy boots oh you know yeah i immediately get you some kick-ass yeah you shouldn't call them cowboy boots they're just boots, boots. Yeah. Okay. yeah they're just boots <laughs> <laughs> but uh uh yeah i'd like i and, uh, and i'm losing my i've well i shouldn't say i'm losing i've lost my hair uh so i need to find a decent hat to wear yeah, uh, and people always uh, wear those hats. Yeah, a little cowboy hat. Well, you has just been why don't you just rock the the bald? Like you rock it well. You look yeah. good. Oh, thank you. You're very kind to say. Um, well, it's the sun is basically what it is. It's like you go out and you've got to protect uh, your head. Oh, because the and, scalp is sensitive. And there's something very defeating about putting like suntan lotion or 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 <laughs> sun protection on your head. There's just something just like there's no denial where you're at anymore. So if you just put a hat on, I can just say it's for aesthetic reasons. Yeah. Oh, you, uh, you know what? I think you look good, but uh, you got to do what you got to do for protection. Thank you. Yeah, it's purely a medical thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you stayed 10 years in Houston, then you moved out to L.A. What year? Oh, boy. God, I'm going to age myself. Uh, I moved out to L.A. in... Uh, well, I've, moved, I've lived in L.A. one, two, three, four times. Oh. So I've been back and forth. Were you like, did you, were they like defeated when you moved? Why did yeah, you move? Yeah, first time, and that's why I've got, you know, because I'm in, you know, the improv community, so I have a lot of younger friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I've got, I taught high school for a little bit, and I, um, I've kept in touch with a lot of those students, and I've got nieces and things like that. So it, it's, what, to me, there's always that story of the people who moved to L.A., and within six months or a year or 18 months, just go, oh, this is Yeah, this I is can't awful. do this. Yeah, this is terrible. So they head back. Uh, I did something similar. I came out in 95. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wait, did you get to see all that race riot stuff? 
Uh, I came out afterwards, so I did not, did not get to see it. Uh, yeah. Shucks. Damn, I missed it. Man, I missed, missed the race riot. Oh. Uh, <laughs> next time. Um, or, yeah, when was I? I forget what those years were. But I came out. That must have been right after the big earthquake. Then the earthquake was in 1994. Yeah, 93 or 94, something like that. I did come out after the earthquake. Uh, I came out. It was right after college. And I, I had a small theater uh, in Houston. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of switched over to screenwriting. And so I came out. I had an agent. I managed to get an agent. That's an interesting story there. Uh, but I managed to... I had well, a do na- tell it. If it's interesting, let's hear about it. Oh, you want to... Go- okay, yeah. we'll just go straight. Just go linear. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I tell this in my classes because I think it's such an important thing is because is, you get a lot of questions about how to get an agent. and, and Sure. Uh, so... I was a playwright, and I studied under Edward Albee, who uh, is a three-time Pulitzer Prize winner. Any, anyone who's done any theater knows who Edward Albee is. Mm-hmm. And he wrote me a great letter of recommendation saying, you know, I'm a very talented writer, I need to be taken seriously, that sort of thing. So I thought I had this great letter of introduction that was going to open tons of doors for me. Mm-hmm. So I sent that out to every agent I could find in New York and in LA. Just like, just went through the list. And back then there was books you'd buy of like all the literary agents. And so I just sent it out to every single one. And there were two agencies. It was CAA and ICM, uh, who I didn't send any, any uh, letters to because I was just too embarrassed. Yeah. Cause like, I just, <laughs> I just, I just, they're too big. Yeah. They're too big. And I just had this vision of the CAA mailroom, like <laughs> laughing at my letter. Cause apparently they, they post things on the wall of like the most ridiculous <laughs> requests that they get. Oh wow. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to oh, be, I have no idea how true that story is, <laughs> but I was not going to be one of those guys. So I didn't send anything to CAA and I see one of my packets are on the wall. There <laughs> <somewhere>. Could be. <laughs> Sneak in and find out one of these days. <laughs> the hall of fame. Yeah. Uh, so, but just one by one, every agent said no. They're just like, for whatever reason, a very small percentage actually read it, read the plays, things like that. But everybody essentially said no. So I opened up a small theater with some friends. I should say we opened up a small theater and I was the artistic director. And the first play that we did was, uh, a play that I wrote. It was my first professional production uh, of a play. I had done some stuff in school. And we got a really nice review in the paper. And God, about a week later, about a week later, an agent calls me from L.A. And, uh, and says, you know, we read the review. We're really interested in talking to you. He's an agent from CAA. And so I started a conversation with him. And over a year time of talking with him, he kind of talked me into writing screenplays instead of stage plays and then became my first agent. Wow. And so I was with so CAA. So this is while you're in Houston. This is while I was in Houston. Okay. Yeah. And so I was with CAA the first six or seven years of my career. But the, uh, and I still, I still, you know, miss being there. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a, it's a nice thing to have, you know, powerful people behind you. So not that I don't love my agents now, but like mm-hmm. there's, there's being young and uh, just entering the business 
and getting that excited and that full of yourself is is is, is <laughs> something you know. Were you, you kind of arrogant back? then? Oh, I was terrible. I was terrible <laughs> to work with. I was an awful human being. Uh, I thought I didn't think I was lucky. I thought I deserved these breaks. <laughs> and I look back now, going, God, that was it was such. Uh, this happens all the time. Yeah, CA calls guys from Houston like me. Yeah, <laughs> and gives them opportunities. It was such a happy arrogance back then. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I kind of miss that happy arrogance, <laughs> even though I don't miss that jerk that I was. Uh, but, but the lesson was, was do things yourself, Mm -hmm. do things yourself and they will come to you. If you are constantly going to them, they don't have time for you. They don't care about you. They just assume that you're just as awful as everyone else that's coming to them. But if you go out and you create your own things, if you are doing your own thing and you create a buzz and create momentum on your own, then they will come to you if you know, if you're if you're doing something worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's such an important switch mentally of just I'm going to go do my own thing, mm-hmm. and then good things will happen rather than trying to create stuff that makes them come to you. So okay, so you okay, so you got the CA agent, so then you moved to LA, right? Yeah, I moved. Uh, I moved to LA, and, uh, and then why did you come? You I came back. back because we optioned a script, and we had a director on board, and then the director fell out. And of course, again, just going back to that happy arrogance, um, I optioned the script and just assumed everything was going to be really easy after that. Yeah. Uh, so, but nothing came back again. Like, so I just ran out of money and and had to come back, and so I went back to Houston and. Uh, again, like a second failure in a row of like three years, so my tail between my legs. And uh, I lived with my parents for like six months, which was horrible. Yeah. Not that they're not great people. I love my parents. It's hard to transition back into that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because at one point, you're doing exactly what you love for a living, and you feel like you've got so much momentum behind you and and that you're really good at what you do. And then the next moment, you're working uh, at a deli at a grocery <laughs> store living with your parents. Oh, Jesus. Ooh. It was still to this day the worst job I ever had, working at a deli, <laughs> slicing meat. And the, my memory of that was that I was the only one who consistently showed up. So... <laughs> I was. It was supposed to be me and someone else doing the deli shift at Randall's. And it was always just me. And I couldn't slice the olive loaf because it made me nauseous. Like just the smell of olives, I have a really bad reaction to. So whenever anyone ordered olive loaf, I was like, oh, God, could you guys slice this olive loaf? I can't do it. It's just awful. You'd ask the customer to slice it? Yeah, no, I never got that far. <laughs> I think Listen, at that point you just hold my, your breath. My life is terrible right now. Can you just do it yourself? Like I'll give you a discount or something. I don't know. <laughs> there was a plan. I should have taken that yeah, up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was another like just just so many ups and downs early yeah. on. So and then why'd you why'd you come back? We uh, we got a director attached to that script again. Oh, so, so you would just. Wow. So it was so like the same oh, script a couple years. I believe it, if I remember, if my memory serves, it was the same script. Wow. Yeah. So and then that brought me back to L.A. Uh, and then that time I stayed uh, for six years. Mm-hmm. I think okay. so. Yeah, five years, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So you were good. You were selling scripts or whatever during that time. And yeah, I was doing well. That was that was uh, a good time for me. Um, I got to the point where I I was still kind of I was I was. I was having some success on features. I, you know, I was making money, 
but my real guaranteed money was TV movies because mm. I didn't have to even pitch anymore. I got to the point where wow. I was just being offered jobs wow. uh, just to, write a, to write a TV movie. Yeah, because I was getting movies made. So as soon as you got the reputation of getting movies made, people will hire you. It was like a huge deal. So, and then at the peak, I wouldn't say the peak, but near the peak of, of like my financial income, and, and uh, I guess that's the only kind of income you have. Um, <laughs> but I, I decided, okay, I can go back to Texas now. Okay. Oh, I, I work enough. Because writing, you know, technically have to be here. I don't right? have to be yeah, here. Yeah. No, yeah. So I can move, I can move back. To, and that was like the major mistake is that for the writing, you don't have to be here. But you have to be in L.A. for the connections, the, connections, and, the meetings, uh, yeah. the meet and greets. Yeah. FaceTime counts because there's so many people coming up behind you, like yeah. new graduates, uh-huh. and they're entering the business, other really great writers. And when you're young and arrogant, you feel like your talent is particularly special. You feel like mm-hmm. your talent is particularly unique. Uh, and that's not knocking my talent. I'm a very good writer. Uh, but... As you get older, you realize, oh man, there's so many so other many. good writers. Yeah. yeah, there's so many others. There's that's, so many other good people. That's what I realize. Like anytime, like, uh, uh, like I'm doing a spot on, like on a show for for stand up. We both do stand up a lot. Uh, I'm like, oh man, this isn't like the the spot really that I want. And then like, there's so many other people who would want that spot. And yeah. then and then I look around and I'm like, I'm on this this show with like these guys who've been doing it like a really long time they're super funny like you got to be grateful and realize like wow i'm lucky to even be like in this room it's an important perspective yeah it's an important perspective and i and i really regret i didn't have that earlier i really regret that uh because i I feel like i really shot myself in the foot so many times so when would you say you lost all your arrogance you got humbled by hollywood what was the turning point um, well, I was a, I was a big old drunk for starters. Oh. Yeah. So I had to get, so you were just the Hollywood stereotype, arrogant, little, little alcohol in you. Uh, yeah, I, I guess there was, there was a certain cautionary tale about that whole thing. Um, uh, he's like, well, I've never heard it put like that. I okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, I wasn't that successful, but I, but I was single, uh, like I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. So it was all technically disposable income. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was definitely too much money and too much time and um uh yeah so i i got sober and that helped a lot but mm-hmm. even um even that sort of thing like you feel like i don't know if you guys know anyone ever got sober but um when you get sober you feel like you've changed 180 pretty quickly mm-hmm. uh and the fact is that you really haven't changed 180 <laughs> you know you haven't you've changed a little but you haven't changed nearly as much as you thought you have right um so like i to the I remember when I got sober, I, was, I used to think to myself, I didn't start growing up until I got sober. Mm. And I feel like now I didn't start growing up till about six or seven years after I got sober. <laughs> so I'm curious of like three or four years from now, like, oh, man, I didn't really start growing up till 12 years after <laughs> I got sober. <laughs> so like, when do you look back and go, that's when I started to grow up? And I don't, I don't know. But um, a lot of that arrogance hadn't changed. It was... It just took roots in different places. It, it manifested itself in mm-hmm. different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was still kind of shooting myself in the foot for, for years after that as well. Um, but I think probably when I got the most humble is when I moved back in 2005. So this is, so you, so you decided you're going to move back to Houston doing well enough. 
I'm doing well enough. I moved back to Houston. I started a company there with the idea of doing more productions in Houston. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the money that I made, I poured into that company to try to attract uh, more production capital, um, going back and forth a lot. But I really wasn't particularly interested in my own writing anymore. I just wanted to focus on the company. Mm -hmm. And like I was talking about, like you... Your arrogance shifts into new um, to new areas, and mm-hmm. so in my mind, I was saying, I I want to build this company for my community, for Houston, which I love. I want to build this company. I want to create jobs. I want to create value for uh, the town that I grew up in, and and I think that was somewhat true, but I think also. It was just another version of arrogance of thinking I want Look to be I <laughs> yeah I want to be a big shot <laughs> I want to be a big shot and I was just too too young to kind of realize that that was a lot of the thinking um, mm-hmm. so but it didn't work out unfortunately I had some great we were working with great people I had a, I had a couple great business partners um, but we just couldn't we just couldn't get it going and so uh, at some point I left I, I I was at ICM then at that point and I left, okay and I left ICM so. We we got a question. Jim, sure. That's a stop you. So we, I think we both have switched agents recently. We had only had to do it a yeah. lot. So what is like the proper protocol for you to leave an agent? Because I feel like we did not do it correctly. <laughs> I, <laughs> Justin happened to be in the room when I had to call an agent <clears throat> and tell her that I was no longer uh, going to be working with her. And I handled it very professionally, but she was just like it would ju- Justin was in the room and she's just like why and like like just asking so much and basically I guess we're asking like what's the best way to yeah, attach no- and just keep on moving Yeah, I have forward. no idea how to do it. I'm just like I know I got to do it but I don't know how to do this. Yeah, my my experience is that there's no good way to do it. Yeah. And and you are going to burn bridges. <laughs> you just are. Yeah. It's it's um and I Every agency that I've worked with, I've loved. I've mm-hmm. loved every agency. I think there have been agents with those agencies who aren't as good mm-hmm. as some. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had great agents at every place that I've that I've been. So it's to me, it's always about the agent themselves. Um, but uh, like I, I just changed. Well, I didn't change managers. I left my manager just a few few months ago, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that sucked. Mm-hmm. You know that that's such it's an awkward, terrible conversation. But I've never like. Do you do it in person, or you just call, or what do you do? Well, you call. I mean, you definitely call. Like I've heard some people do it on email, which I just think is tacky. Yeah. Um, and whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, uh, have you done it on email? I've done one before, <laughs> but the one that I did on email, she goes. All she said, and this is how I knew that it was a right move that yeah. I left. She goes. Okay, uh, remove yourself off of Actors Access. Like, that was it. That was it. That was it. And I was like, yeah, this lady was not the right fit. Yeah, that's not the right fit. Yeah, yeah, and and of course, every time that I've left an agency, um, there was a sense that it was coming. Yeah. Like, that that something had it, like... Yeah, because you wouldn't leave for no reason. You wouldn't leave for no reason. That something was going on. Um, but I tell you, like very few of the agents I've had, I, I don't miss, you know, like, right. I, yeah, I mean, I miss them. I, I miss cause there's a certain relationship there. And then there's certain, certain agents that I'm just, and you're, they're usually the ones, the reasons why you leave. But like, 
like the the guy who brought me into this business who I owe so much to I miss him a lot you know mm-hmm. um, and uh, people at different agencies so it's and I've got I got managers that I'm still in, in contact with and um, those have been the ones I've had better long-term relationships with like mm-hmm. my very first manager I still have lunch with even though he's not a manager anymore another manager is over at he's an agent at APA now and I love him to death he's you know he's one of my favorite people so um, yeah I think I think it's hard not to take it personally yeah you know and yeah and then also know that there are times when you are uh, in play like if you've got a certain amount of heat on you and you leave an agent then you are what they call in play. And then you sit down with other agencies and you talk to them and then they try to tell you, well, this is why you should be with us. Uh, and then if you say no to them, that's also going to burn that bridge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's tricky... like, <laughs> it's very important to, to like, when you take meetings, take as few meetings, meetings as, as possible. possible because uh, the that's... people you say no to will remember that you said no to them. And yeah, and if you try to come back to them later, they're like, "No, we're good." We, we and I have, it. yeah. And it's and not only are you groveling, <laughs> uh, but they don't want anything to do with you. Yeah, they're like, "You, yeah, you said no." So wow, now, that's now so that, good advice. That's, that's a that, great tip. Is yeah. to take few meetings. Take very few meetings. Wow, because you want to say no to as few people as possible. Wow. Yeah. Getting my mind blown here. Tom's got some good advice. <laughs> Uh, so you've been back uh, in LA for uh, the last nine years. Uh, uh, no, right? no, I went back. I back one more time. I came. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Resilience I, here, coming back. Yeah, I and came. It's, it's so rare that people come back that after they leave LA, it's extremely rare for them to move back. Well, my all my work's here, so I don't yeah. really have much of a choice. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you have to you have to be here. And I remember there was some quote, and I can't remember who said it. Um, so I, I feel bad I'm not giving them proper credit. I think it might have been Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, she's but, gonna be pissed. If but, you do not quote her yeah, so I uh, I better give her a credit, <laughs> right? Uh, but it was something like the only reason to live in L.A. is so you can eventually afford not to. Wow. Which I thought was, and I was yeah. like, yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Uh, though I don't, I don't anticipate ever leaving L.A. again until, until my bank account is just ridiculous. Yeah. Which I, I don't anticipate with that, my career <laughs> that there's ever going to be there. But, um, but I came back in 2005 and, and like this last ditch effort to, to kind of salvage my career. Okay. And so this is after the production company is the production folded. I didn't have an agent. Um, I kind of gave up my desire to produce and said, look, you know, writing is where my money is, and I've got to get back to writing. Mm-hmm. And so I came out in 2005, and that's when I first started taking classes at UCB um, for the fun of it. And, um, and I could not get it going. I could not get it going. And I had agents that, like, a few years earlier were dying to represent me, wanted nothing to do with me. Wow. Um, there was a certain desperation in my writing at that point, too. Yeah. Uh, you can, just like, just, like... leading into it. Yeah, there's just, there was just something... Um, the passion was gone and it was just um, like the subtext of each script was please buy me. <laughs> you know, like it was, it was, it was not my best writing. So uh, at that point, after a year, and I remember I was getting more and more interested in, in comedy mm-hmm. 
And so, and I met some people through UCB, which are like very, very funny people. And, and I remember trying to get someone to help me do a comedy pass on a script of mine because I had always written genre stuff. I'd always written thrillers and horror and ghost stories and those sort of things, action films. And I could not get anyone to do a comedy pass. Oh, wow. And I went, if all of these aspiring screenwriters yeah. don't, aren't particularly interested in helping me, I've got to admit, that my career is is much <laughs> lower than I thought it was. Yeah, uh, and whether that was true or not, I don't know. It was just a psychological thing. Yeah. It was like I've talked to aspiring screenwriters, like, nah, I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> I was like, all They're right, like, I could teach wow. you. Man. Yeah, and I was like, okay, something like who I think I am and who I actually am are two different things. <laughs> so eventually, a few months later, I was like, all right, this is this is probably my run is over, and that's okay. You know, my run is over. So uh, I went back to Houston, went back to college, uh, went to school full-time, because I never got my degree. So I was a six-year sophomore. And yeah, so I was like, well, I'll just go back and get my degree and figure out what the hell I want to do with my life. So I left the business entirely, went back to school full-time, worked at the Apple store so I could work through school because I needed some kind of income or something. That's better than a deli. (laughs) Yeah, better than a deli. And I enjoyed it. It was was a fun time. And I was just... And I remember thinking how amazing it was that if I showed up to work, every two weeks there was more money in my bank account. (laughs) It was like such a stunning feeling. They're like, I just show up and every two weeks there's like addition, not a lot of money, but additional money. Yeah. I, to this day, I was like, I really, really like I'm envious of the two week paycheck. I was just like, that's amazing to me. Uh, so I went back to school and then after I graduated, an old script of mine sold. Uh, wow. I had a, pro- that's crazy how it just kind of stays in the sphere. Yeah. Things. It was, a it was a, pr- a producing partner of mine, showed it to an old partner of his and then they showed it to somebody and they came back and they sold it and we got Barry Sonnenfeld attached to, to, to direct. Uh, this is all development stuff. So this mm-hmm. is like not the sort of thing that you talk about like in the trades or anything cause it's so intangible, even though right. I think that was in the trades. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm probably, you know, you know, dropping, dropping names that may not, but the point the, the point was is two years earlier, uh, no one wanted anything to do with me, and yeah. I was all washed up, and I wasn't a very good writer. And then we set up one, we get a director on it, and all of a sudden people think I can write again. Wow! So it's just it's just the weird ebb and flow of the business, and yeah. so much of the business is controlled by conventional wisdom, mm-hmm. and you always need one person who goes against conventional wisdom to kind of set conventional wisdom. Right. Like it, it's, you cannot change your career unless you find at least one person who believes in you. You can't do it. And you, but if you get that one person to believe in you and that one person is big enough that they can, you know, kind of correct the change, the tide, change yeah, change the tide. And, uh, and so that's what happened. And then, uh, three years I moved back I moved back to LA three years ago. And, um, uh, uh, just you know, just kind of back to writing professionally again. Wow, that's that's a pretty awesome story. <laughs> yeah, well, wow. Um, so in the last three years, what uh, um, uh, take us through the process of like uh, what, what you've kind of been doing uh, like the last few years, like as far as like the writing and um, if you, like any if you're are you just doing any comedy stuff uh, anymore still? Like a uh, little, a little bit. Um, 
I wrote my first sitcom earlier this year. Oh, cool. Um, so we're hoping... Um, do you have a partner or you do this all by yourself? This, uh, I, I go back and forth. I got a few partners. My partner, uh, my writing partner, Christy, for uh, Christy Dopkin, um, she, we wrote together through most of uh, uh, the last 10 years we wrote together. And uh, then she changed careers. She she moved. She's she's got a husband and and two kids, and and so they moved to North Carolina. Which, uh, having learned our lessons from you know just being around, uh, it kind of made working together a little more a little more difficult. But yeah. I, I miss writing with her terribly. I feel like my best writing was done with with Christy. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, and then the sitcom I wrote with my friend Stephanie, who I wrote in, who I met in a UCB class. So we took, I think, two hundred one together, mm-hmm. and um, and then just remained friends, and then just decided at some point to to write something together, and we wrote and we wrote higher ed together, and then I've been uh, I've been trying to produce more as far as creatively because I'm not a physical producer, I'm not particularly good at that, and and then my relationships in town are not nearly as strong as they used to be. So, mm-hmm. but what I can do is development. I can. Re- I, I'm. I'm very good. I've been teaching for the last ten years as well. So, I'm very good at working with young writers and helping them um, you know, shape scripts, shape stories, help with structure, get the most out of their talent. I've been really, really enjoying that. Uh, so that's where a lot of the comedy is coming from. Is actually just friends from UCB who I think are extremely talented and very funny and um, just need a little more. Guidance, because mm-hmm. there was a time where in this business you were mentored. You were right. It was a producer mentored you, or even an agent mentored you, or, or you know you were mentored by somebody. Now it's kind of like you got to be ready to go. You're on your own. Yeah, man. fend for yourself. You're on your own. So the learning curve is much. Well, I shouldn't say it's much slower, but the learning curve is a little slower. But you make up for it a little bit because. You, there's such a longer history that's available to you as far as being able to watch anything you want online, learn yeah. from that. Mm-hmm. And um, you have the, the ability to self-produce And self-produce, now. yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah, so. so that helps a lot too. So now that I think about it, it's probably, you have to, the learning curve is probably the same. You just have to work a little harder to get it. Mm. Nice. Well, it's about that time to do the Hollywood Bitch Slap. We're almost done, Tom. Are we almost done? Yeah, it's half hour. It goes fast. Jeez, that was fast. <laughs> so this is the Hollywood Bitch Slap. <laughs> I had no idea what that was. <laughs> we're, we're still uh, working out the kinks in the sound effects department. All right. yeah. Oh, the sound effects was fine. <laughs> that was great. I knew there was a bitch slap. I just don't know what it means. It's uh, it's just any time uh, in your Hollywood career where you were just bitch slapped by Hollywood, like some kind of rejection or just like... <laughs> kidding me? I've got 18 years of that. <laughs> just like a dark time where yeah, or, someone told yeah. you you're nothing. Oh, or yeah. Like a, yeah, if it's a specific story. Uh, yeah. Uh, some people have been like, my whole stay out here. <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> let's, let's get a little, a little more specific than that. <laughs> Yeah, there was one, uh, and and it it is the worst meeting I've ever had. Uh, actually, there I've got two real quick. One's very very quick. Cool. But my my uh, it was my very first meeting at the Fox lot, and I was there for lunch, and we sat down, and uh, the guy looks across from me, he's like pleasant talk, small talk, and he just he finally just breathes, he goes, "I'm sorry, could you remind me why we're here?" <laughs> 
<laughs> he had no idea what the meeting was about, like why it was arranged or anything. And I was just like, on his uh, calendar. Yeah, I was just like, oh, you're, the script you read is like, and I had to like, he's like, what? Now, what script was that? Darren, oh. we had not even ordered a meal yet. Uh, but the worst meeting I was ever at was at a studio. It was a small mini studio. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to mention any names, but there was a director who just had a huge hit, mm-hmm. and he brought me on to a project uh, to write it because I pitched him my take on it and he loved it. But I was not an A-list writer and they were dealing with money that like they wanted an A-list writer. Yeah. And so the guy is a real old school guy who ran this studio. Uh, he'd been around for a long time and he was very used to the old model of, I mean, I've literally had a producer once say, Tom, we, you're not expensive enough for this job. <laughs> meaning that they've got a they've got a yeah. budget for the writer and they want a writer who demands that budget. Right. Because that's how they're gonna get their money's worth. And so this guy wanted a uh A list writer rather than me. But this guy, the director, liked my pitch. So he's like, No, no, we're going with Tom. And so we go into the meeting and I start to pitch my, you know, what I've what I pitched the director. And the studio exec in order to prove that I was not up to the task, just went on a tear of like, every time I'd say something, he'd argue with it. He's like, I don't believe that moment. Are you sure? Come on, really? Like, yeah, no, that's fine. He'll go down the stairs and look around the corner. I don't see anyone looking around the corner. I I think any normal person is going to avoid that. He's going to go in the other way. All right, well, I mean, we'll figure that out. And then I'd go on to the next thing, and he'd argue with that, and then he'd argue with that. And it, it was it was forty five minutes of having this like this very powerful guy, yeah. uh, basically uh, just beat up a young writer because he wanted to prove that I wasn't up to the task. And and this was a pitch that I had worked out with the director, <laughs> and the director did not once step up to defend me. Uh. Did not once go, oh, no, no, we worked that out. We really yeah. like this. So I was like completely on my own. And you could like watch all the executives in the room just kind of like, <laughs> just kind of drift back and like they want nothing to do with this conversation. <laughs> to the point where I got phone calls from the junior execs afterwards apologizing to me. And I ran home and I called my agents and stuff. You've got to get me out of this deal. You've got to get me out of this deal. That was the worst meeting I've ever been in. Um, they're like, no, 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 Tom. This just gives you an opportunity to be the hero. <laughs> this gives you the opportunity. If you really turn this around and you really nail it, then everyone's going to love you. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't, I just walked into a minefield. Tom, it'll be a great underdog story. (laughs) Yeah, like, but I, he simply did not want me on the project. And I don't know if it was, if it was trying to prove to the guy that I wasn't up, or maybe he was trying to get me to quit. Like, where you just start being mean to your girlfriend so she dumps you or something. It was some, but it, I always, and everyone, whenever I see an interview with him or anyone talks about him, I just like, oh, that's <laughs> son of a bitch. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was to this day, without a doubt, just the worst, most horrible, painful meeting, and completely unnecessary because the guy was such a heavyweight. Like yeah. he was such, he ran his own studio. Yeah, he did not have he to pull. Could have just said no. Yeah, he could have just said no. So. Instead of uh, proving it to everybody. Yeah. It's, oh, God, I wish I could mention names, but I won't. <laughs> but it's, it's so much more fun if you know who it is. Uh, but, yeah, that's, my, that's my, my worst meeting story. Well, uh, you have a lot of resilience. I'm glad you're back in L.A. 
oh, taking thanks. meetings. You're maybe going to sell something. Who knows? Yeah, no, we're doing well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's good to be back, and I, I, I really enjoy the community that I'm in, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun again, which is really nice. Awesome. Okay. Where can uh, people find you, or uh, and uh, do you have anything plug? Uh, yeah, you anything plug, coming up? Uh, yeah, you can. I I teach that. classes. Mm-hmm. I teach uh, feature film writing, mostly within the comedy and improv community. Uh, so you could find me at storyandplot.com. One word: story and plot. Um, That's and, a good domain. Yeah, it's fine. I've had it for a while, so <laughs> I'm really. Uh, and I think I'm teaching another session in August. But uh, yeah, I really everyone loves the classes. They're they're um, I'm very very good at teaching structure. It's I I sometimes think I'm I have a lot more talent teaching, and I feel like I'm a good writer. But I feel like I'm I have a lot more talent teaching than I do as a writer. And that's mm. that's more about how good I am as a teacher than than I am as like bad I am as a writer. I'm a very yeah. good writer. So, but I really like teaching, and I'm very good at it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming by, Tom. My uh, pleasure. We loved your stories. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah, wish you uh, continued success. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks.